Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Okay, so we're going to be in Exodus 13. We're going to start in verse 17. And um, we're going to go through the Torah portion here, which goes through 17, 16. And just going to kind of go through it topographically and cover some of the points that are in it and, and just talk about it. So um, we'll start out first. Um, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day and for your word. I just pray that as we go through the Torah portion that you would uh, speak it into our lives just through your word and that we could learn from it and that we would grow in you um, and that we might um, walk in your ways. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Okay, now I changed my mind. Turn up to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> I forgot that's where I actually wanted to start. Or you don't have to. You can listen. But I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10. First uh, um, Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 10. Okay. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. So he's talking about the Israelites and talking about Moses and everything that happened in, in, in the Old Testament. Verse 2. All were baptized unto, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And they all drank the same spiritual rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For, there were, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. So the intent, uh, to the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Messiah, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for an for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. All right. So now, so I just wanted to read that because it's kind of an introduction, a really good introduction to what we're going to read in, in Exodus because that was Paul writing um, after Yeshua had already gone, gone back up into heaven and he was writing to, his, uh, to the people in the church of Corinth. And basically admonishing them that they should know the scriptures and that they should take them um, as examples in their lives so that they don't repeat the same problems. Because what we're going to find is, as we read this, basically the people just left Egypt. They just had, you know, they put the blood on the door. Um, they all left as one big horde of people. And um, so we'll start reading. We'll pick it up, pick it up here, uh, Exodus 13, verse 17. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. 
For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up the bones away, carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Ephraim at the edge of the wilderness. And Yehovah went with them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So they, they're getting ready to leave. They're leaving Egypt. And um, Moses takes the bones of Joseph with him, uh, which is interesting because Joseph had told the people um, further back that you're going to be taken out of Egypt. And when you do, you go take my bones with you and bury them in the land of Israel. So Joseph knew there was a time coming that they would be leaving eventually. And the time had come when God was leading them out by a pillar of fire um, at night and a pillar of cloud at day. And that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud um, stayed in front of the camp. Well, initially it led them in the front of the camp uh, when they were crossing through the Red Sea and going to Mount Sinai. And then eventually it stood over Moses' tent before they built the tabernacle. And then eventually it stood over the tabernacle when um, they um, built the tabernacle. So then eventually they go through all the wilderness for 40 years. The cloud stays with them the whole time, which to me, I don't know. Must, I often wonder what it looked like. Like, did it look like a, like a tornado, you know, pillar? Or did it just, was it a little cloud? I don't know what it looked like. Not that that matters, but it's just neat to me that, you know, God's presence was with, with them in that storm, if you want to say, um, the whole time. And I don't know when exactly, if I can't remember when exactly it departed, if it departed when they went into the land, when they finally got in there or not. Um, but it's interesting. So anyway, going on. Um, so um, basically, what I'm going to well, read, really read a little bit in here in 14. I don't want to read the entire portion because that might take a little while. But um, I want to highlight different things. So basically... Let's go 14, verse 1. And Yehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihairoth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am Yehovah. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let the children of Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and he took his people with him. He took 600 chariots, uh, chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt, captains over every one of them. And Yehovah hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. And the Egyptians pursued, pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal Zephon. And when, the, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto Yehovah. So keep in mind here, they just left. Um, they just left Egypt, and there's a whole bunch of them. Estimates have 
ranged anywhere from 600,000 to 2 million people that were with the Israelites, or the Israelites and those that went with them when they left. And so you have uh, them leave, and then basically you have one of the mightiest military mites in, uh, in the world at the time heading after them with their modern-day tanks, basically, and all their chariots and all their horsemen, and then and even the 600 chariots that were like Pharaoh's specially, you know, the special forces that were out after them. So you have the most mighty military force after them. And so the people leave Egypt. They plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians are like, get out of here and take all our stuff with you. We don't, you know, here, you know, because they're afraid. And so they leave, and they leave with all kinds of stuff. But then Pharaoh's heart's hardened, and he's like, no, we're going after you. And so the people, this is what's interesting, 11, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us who carriest forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. <laughs> so they barely leave. And, and it, I suppose it's, it's natural human nature. Because like Paul said, these are supposed to be examples for us. Because what we're going to do, what I hope to highlight here is these periods where the people doubt they murmur against their, the leaders that God has set up, what God is doing to rescue them, even in the midst of, of great miracles. You know, just the fact they got out of there, for one, they saw all the plagues. God delivers them. There's this pillar of fire leading them. But it's so interesting to me that in, in the time of panic, you forget all that stuff. You forget all the great things God has done. You forget how he's preserved you. All you see is your perilous situation at hand. And so you tend to immediately have doubt. I know that the same thing happens to me, and I'm trying to not uh, have this happen. Um, because like we were talking last week, Derek, it's always, you know, we get put in that situation of testing. And that's where we're supposed to shine forth with our succeeding, you know, reliance upon God. And that's when we tend to, I tend to, crash and burn, you know. And so... What that reveals to us is what's going on inside us and inside their hearts because what comes forth out of the mouth is what is in the heart of, of the man like Yeshua tells us. So Moses says to him, verse 13, Moses says unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of Yehovah, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Yehovah shall fight for you. You shall lay hold your peace. I mean, I don't know. Imagine it like, uh, you know, you get, you're literally between a rock and a hard place or the ocean and a hard place because they, were, they came up to the Red Sea and they're entrapped. And if you ever watch any like archaeological specials on um, why they were trapped, the route that they took from Exodus down Egypt down to the Red Sea, they're literally... Um, there's like cliffs all around and there's this big, large, flat, sandy area. And, and they, they, to get into that large, flat, sandy area at the border of the sea, they basically walked through this dry riverbed, essentially, and that's where Pharaoh's chariots are. So essentially, they're, they're blocked in. There's nowhere even really to go. There's like cliffs and walls on all sides and, the, and then the ocean. And then behind them in this narrow, gul narrow gully is where um, Pharaoh's um, armies are coming. And that's part of the reason why, as we're going to read, when they 
pillar of cloud went behind them, it acted like a barrier through the night and so that they didn't come through and just start slaughtering them. So, Yehovah shall fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Okay, so now 15, very famous, uh, famously reenacted in Charleston, Heston. 15, and Yehovah said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children as they go forth, but lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and upon the chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yehovah when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So it's interesting to me that you have this pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, and it's kind of, it's interesting because it says here, the angel of God. Other places it says, I will go before you, God, like God speaking himself, saying he'll go before them in the fire and in the cloud. And whether or not it's God himself or it's, or it's this angel or whatever, uh, the, the word angel is literally messenger or, or one sent on behalf of the king. And so if a king sent out a messenger from his one kingdom to another, he was literally sending out an angel and because they carried the words of the king and, and the messenger of, of who they, the king they were coming from. And so they were his representatives doing his work. Um, and so if it's an angel or whether it's God himself, either way, it's God himself working on his behalf or an angel working on his behalf in that, in that cloud. Verse 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave them light by night to see these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Jehovah caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters bore a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. And even all Pharaoh's horsemen, his chariots, and all his horses, chariots, horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch that Jehovah looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. So it's kind of like God looking through the, pot, the, the fire, pillar of fire and cloud. And troubled the host of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of the Israelites. For uh, Yehovah fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And Yehovah said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come against the Egyptians and upon their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and Yehovah overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came unto the sea after them. And there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus Jehovah saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which Jehovah did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared Jehovah and believed Jehovah and his servant Moses. So they gr God brings them out, great miracles, all the plagues and everything. 
they get to the seed, they complain, and they weep and gnash. Were there not enough graves for us in Israel that you're going to make us die here? And God performs another great miracle for them. And they fear God, and they believe in Moses' servant. Uh, it's interesting, too, again, archaeological stuff. Where they crossed in the Red Sea, it's like literally this um, platform that's only, I forget how deep it is, it's, but it's, you know, you can, it's divable depth, and it's still light, so probably no more than 60 feet, I guess, something like that. I don't know, maybe more. But um, everywhere else on that whole Red Sea, it, it drops off to like thousands of feet deep, and there's um, coral-encrusted chariot wheels still down there. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, and like, you know, petrified coral encrusted porcelains and stuff. So that's pretty, yeah, that is cool. Probably not. Fish probably ate the skeletons of people. So uh, Moses and the children of Israel sing a song. We're not going to read that. That's in chapter 15. You should read it, though, if you haven't. It's awesome. And um, so, but what then I want to focus on what continues to happen as they go, because we're going to go through the rest of the Torah portion up to chapter 18. So they get through, they sing the song, and uh, Miriam in uh, chapter 15, verse 20, who's the sister of Aaron and Moses, she's singing and prophesying. And um, so verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went up into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, but found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Mara literally means bitter, bitterness in, um, uh, in Hebrew, which is, I always find interesting because, like, we have friends' names who are Mara. And it's like, oh, your name means bitterness. Probably, yeah. So. so they couldn't drink the water. So three days, they're probably running low on their water stores. And again, they're like, why didn't you let us die in Egypt? And, um, uh, da, 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 24, and the people murmured against Moses. It's interesting to me, they always complain against Moses. It's not against God who did all this. No, it's against Moses. Because what? He's the representative of God. That's why uh, I've made this comparison um, in other times. Like you read into the prophets, and people always complain against the prophets, the messengers God sent, uh, Yeshua. They complained against Yeshua when as he was sent, sent the apostles, they complained against them. Um, so basically, if you're going to be a messenger for God and speak forth his word, get ready to be complained against. <laughs> uh, uh, so, there, what are we going to drink? Verse 25, and he cried unto Yehovah, and Yehovah showed him a tree, which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and there he made uh, for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of Yehovah thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians. For I am Yehovah that healeth thee. Uh, and they came to Elim, and there were twelve wells of water, and two score and ten palm trees, and they encamped by the waters. Those, um, that place, Elim, is still still there, and there's still 12, 12 wells there. That's pretty cool. That's in, actually, it's in Saudi Arabia. Um, so, but I love that verse 26. Basically, God says, he starts to kind of, not starts, but uh, 
responds to them in their doubting of him and his provision and his plan. And he basically says, look, you need to hearken unto my voice, do that which is right, give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes, and what? He will put none of these diseases on you because he differentiates what makes the differentiation between Israel and the Egyptians. One group of people obeyed God. One group of people didn't obey God, really. And so the results or the ramifications of obedience versus disobedience are just a natural effect of you know, health and life and everything God wants for his people or sickness and death and problems and the curses that naturally happen uh, on those who don't obey him. Uh, so it only gets better. Uh, in uh, Chapter 16, verse 1. And they took their journey from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, not Sin, it's Sin, <laughs> no correlation, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So they are coming unto Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, which is where, uh, if, you, if you read earlier on, God speaks to Moses and God, where the burning bush and everything, and God tells Moses, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to, excuse me, you're going to deliver my people. And he says, and the sign that I have sent you will be that you will return and worship me on this mountain. So God has already fulfilling his word and living up to his promises by going and getting his people and now bringing them back to this mountain, which he told Moses this would be the sign. So, but they're not happy. Verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Now Aaron this time. Aaron is Moses' older brother. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So first, um, they're like, you're going to kill us with the Egyptians. Then they're like, you're going to kill us with thirst. And then they're like, well, you're going to kill us with hunger. You know, we had it so good in Egypt. How quickly they forget. That the, and it's so fascinating. They say, you know, they basically paint this rosy peaches and cream story of what life in Egypt was. But really, they, they were slaves. They had no freedom. Uh, they, they labored. They eventually weren't given straw to make their bricks. You know, they were forced labor. Forced, yeah, their children were murdered and thrown into the, to the river. But here we read, you know, we ate bread to the full. And we flat, you know, how quickly our minds will only remember what we want to remember. And so we have to keep in our own lives keep things in check, just like you'll read in the Psalms. And like David will say, you know, why does the wicked prosper? You know, because when we look around in life, those who thumb their noses at God, uh, you know, seemingly prosper. But that's not our concern. Our concern is us, is what we're supposed to do before God. So he says, um, so then Yehovah said unto Moses, verse 4 of chapter 16, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll give you some bread. 
but I'm going to put some stipulations on them. You're only supposed to gather so much a day, and then on the sixth day, on Friday, you're going to gather in twice as much, and I'm going to see whether or not you will actually listen to me. And so, oh, we're moving on. We're going to find out. So, six. Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even, then you shall know that Yehovah hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, then you shall see the glory of Yehovah, for that he heareth your murmurings against Yehovah. And what are we that we murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when Yehovah shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that Yehovah heareth your murmurings which we murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against God. That's really important. Oftentimes, um, you know, as you read through the scriptures, and then again, I think in our own lives, we'll, we'll complain against our situational circumstances. But we have to be very careful about that because we could inadvertently be murmuring against God because of his, he allows these situations to arise. Nine, and Moses spoke unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Yehovah, for he hath heard your murmurings. And then it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yehovah appeared in a cloud. And Yehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Yehovah your God. And it came to pass that at even... The quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna. For they wist not what it was. Uh, Mana literally means, What is it in Hebrew? <laughs> And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which Jehovah has given you to eat, and this is the thing which Jehovah hath commanded. Gather it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more and some less. And when they did meet it out with an omer, he that gathered, gathered much had nothing left over, and he that gathered little had no less. And they gathered every man according to his eating. Moses said, let no man leave it till the morning, notwithstanding, here we go, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. <laughs> and they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for a man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which Yehovah hath said. So now we're going to talk about the Sabbath. He gets into some of the stipulations for food in the Sabbath. He said, Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto Yehovah. Bake that which you will bake today, and sieve, or boil, that which you will sieve, and that which remaineth over, lay up for you to be kept into the morning. And they laid it up until the morning, and Moses, uh, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither were there any worms therein. And Moses said, Eat today, for today is the Sabbath unto Yehovah. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. So, basically he says, you know, you're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to gather food on the, on the Sabbath day. So he says, there's going to be twice as much, and you're going to gather twice as much on Friday. And you're going to lay it up, cook it all, bake it all, do whatever you're going to do to it, so that come Sabbath, 
you're not having to bake it and cook it, and you're not going to be able to go out and find it in the field. And so, uh, da -da -da. where was I? Oh, uh, 27. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. Yahweh said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that Yehovah hath given you the Sabbath, before he giveth, uh, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let man, no man go out of his place on the Sabbath, seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Um, and the house of Israel called the name thereof Manah, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Uh, and then it goes on the rest of the chapter, and, they, and God basically tells them, fill up, an om fill up an omer of it and put it in uh, and keep it for a remembrance. And that was eventually one of the things that would be uh, put in the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually there'd be the, um, the two tablets of uh, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, uh, and the, um, an, uh, an omer of Manah. And these things were to remind the people of uh, the covenant with God and his words and that they're supposed to obey him and how he always provided for them. Um, so keep going here. So again, uh, so they get food. God, God, God provides food miraculously. And in 17, they journey a little bit farther and they pitch at Rephidim in verse 1. And there's no water for the people to drink. And, and verse 2, therefore the people chide with Moses. Moses said, uh, why are you chiding with me? Wherefore do ye tempt Yehovah? I find that so interesting that it wasn't that they were just upset that there wasn't water. It wasn't them just arguing with Moses. They literally were, were tempting God uh, by what they said. You know, instead of being just thankful for getting as far as they had gotten and that God had delivered them and saved them, they had to tempt uh, God. So verse 3, the people thirsted for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? <laughs> and uh, so verse 4, Moses is getting to the end of himself here. He says, uh, Moses cries out unto Yehovah saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And Yehovah said unto Moses, Go on before the people, take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, and take it in thine hand and go. So he's saying, take this rod, this really what it is, is a sign of authority, the one that you uh, struck the Red Sea with, and it opened up. In other words, reminding people, you are my chosen leader, and it's a sign of my authority and a sign of what I am in charge and controlling everything. So take it and go. Six, behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the children of Israel uh, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted Yehovah, saying, Is Yehovah among us or not? So it's very interesting. Uh, Masa and Meribah means chi chiding and arguing. So they chided and they argued against Moses, and they tempted God, saying, Is God among us or not? 
um, you know, would, yeah, it's still all there, you know, so there's, right, exactly, so, you know, it's easy to look back and to think, um, man, you know, they just went through the Red Sea, they saw all the signs of uh, the plagues in Egypt, they got manna, you know, they got quail that just dropped out of the sky, and a pillar of fire, and a pillar of cloud, and they're still complaining and tempting God. And so, to me, I don't think, you know, and I think this relates to what happens later on in the, two, in the New Testament when Yeshua's on the earth, and the leaders go to him and they say, show us a sign, or show us a miracle to prove what that you are who you say you are. And, and oftentimes, he doesn't usually. He says, only one sign will be given you, the prophet, sign of the prophet Jonah. And so he br brings them back to the word of God. Another passage is Lazarus and Lazarus uh, and the rich man. And they're both dead now. And the rich man's in hell. And he talks to Lazarus and he says, Please, I've got five, if I'm remembering the story correctly, I might be confusing people. But he's like, i got five brothers that are still alive. God, you know, who's he talking to? Moses. He's talking to Moses. And he says, send Lazarus back from the dead and tell my five brothers that they don't come to this place to torment. And Moses says, even if one were raised from the dead, they would not believe. And they said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not hear, in other words, they have the word of God. They will not listen and hear the word of God. They will not listen, though one were raised from the dead. And so I think it's the same thing today. Even if, you know, there were mighty miracles and miraculous things, because it's really what's inside the person, whether or not their heart's going to be changed. Because, I mean, we see crazy things all, all the time today. You know, I think we're, we're, dumb, we're numb to it all, and even them back in Exodus were numb to it all as well because they still had not a changed heart and a changed mind. So there were those among the children of Israel that did all the right things on the outside, right? They put the blood on the door. They, they left. They went through the Red Sea. They did all the right things, but inside nothing had really changed. And to me, it's just a perfect illustration of what salvation is and what differentiates those people, God's people, from who are not God's people, even amongst, I believe, our congregations and churches today. It's, and it's what you can't see, right? It is borne out in people's actions, but whether or not someone has changed inside them that they are truly want to follow and obey and serve God is something inside, and that's them borne out in your actions. So I just... That's why Paul tells us, like we read in Corinthians, these stories are, are reminders for us that we don't fall into the same tra trap. Uh, and so, basically, he, he gives them water out of the rock. And there's a whole bunch of neat stuff in there because, like Paul says, that rock that followed them was Yeshua. And that water, the uh, waters of life came out of it. And so, when you get to the New Testament... That's why it's important to have read the Old Testament. And, and Yeshua says, um, I am the water of life. You know, when he says these things, he, they are um, analogies relating back to what happened in the Old Testament that 
explain what he gives gives depth to what he's saying and meaning to the things that he's saying uh, when you get up there. Otherwise, they just sound like bumper sticker slogans. That's like, well, that sounds great, but what does what in the world does that mean? Or when they say, um, uh, "Man does not buy live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." And so all that's tied into the manna and how he provided the manna for them so that they could live, but they had to manage the manna according to the word of God so that they would live. And so it's all interrelated. And um, based on these uh, based on these stories in the Old Testament. So then to finish it up, uh, the end of chapter 17, Amalek comes and fights with them. And Moses says unto Joshua in verse 9, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had sent him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there on it. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Jehovah said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called the name Jehovah Nisi, for he said, Because Jehovah has sworn that Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So I find it interesting. Um, Amalek is one of Israel's ancient enemies because of how they attack them as soon as they get out of Israel. As soon as they leave Egypt, Amalek comes and attacks them. And so, um, as you'll read later on in the Old Testament, um, God says, you know, you're supposed to wipe Amalek out completely because they attacked them for no reason and struck down, you know, the legion of the sick and the stragglers that were at the back of the camp. And so Joshua fights against them. Joshua, uh, we first find him here, and he is basically Moses' right-hand man. And um, so Moses holds up his hands, and whenever his hands are up, for whatever reason, Israel wins. But his hands go down, and Israel starts to lose, and so... Aaron and her hold up uh, his hands, and then they, they eventually um, win the battle. So that concludes our story section. So I guess if 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 I if there was a come away from all of this, it would be, you know, we who, as we read in um, Corinthians, are God's people. We are not to fall into the same trap of complaining and murmuring against God or really against our situation and the struggles and the trials we come in life because we never really know whether or not it's something that God is using to test and try us and know really what's inside of us, whether we will still serve and obey him. And so sometimes if we're complaining against our situation, you know, we could very inadvertently be complaining against God and his plan to shape and mold us and build us into what he wants and his working out of his plan. You know, I know in my own life, and you can probably think of situations in your own where you look back and you're like, oh, you know, in the, at the time that felt like a horrible, terrible thing and everything was going wrong. But then 
you look back with 2020 eyes and it's like, man, if that didn't happen, I'm, you know, you're glad that it did, even though you just wished to get out of it at the time. And uh, because God works through all things, you know, for the good of his people to those who love and trust him. You know, even like crazy stories like David and Bathsheba, you know, David murders Bathsheba, David, you know, fornicates with Bathsheba, then tries to get, tries to get, hit, um, um, what's the, Uriah to come home and, you know, be with his wife so that it doesn't look like he impregnated Bathsheba. He, would, he won't do that because he's such a good man. He won't sleep with his wife because he's like, my men are out fighting. How can I come home and, and just act like nothing's happening? And so finally God, David's like, oh, this isn't working. So he sends him back into war with orders to put him on the front line so that he d will die in battle. So essentially, so David murders Uriah to cover up his sin and then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. But through all of that, out of David and Bathsheba, you get Solomon, which eventually you get Yeshua out of all of that. And so if that had not happened, I mean, God would have worked out his will anyway. But my point is, throughout a, a horrible, egregious situation, God still works out his plan and his good. And so he, how much more so does he do it also in our own lives? And so, I, you know, we live in such a temporal fast-paced, immediate satisfaction and gratification and societies that bases happiness and things going right on our, our momentary feelings and emotions that we have a false sense of what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. Whereas in a biblical mindset, we're just to serve, serve God, love him, keep his commandments, and let him deal with the rest, basically. And he'll bring all things together for his plan and his good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word and for this day, for all that it teaches us. I pray that we would not murmur and not complain, but just live a life of service to you, obedience, doing what is right, and that you would work out your will and your plans for our lives, and would you be usable in that, and that you would prepare us as your people for your eventual return thank you for this day of Shabbat, that we get to have this day of rest to come and to uh, listen to your word. Thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.